today we're going to be talking in 1 Corinthians 1. If you have a Bible or you want to go along, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 1. And I'm actually really excited about, I guess it's safe to say I'm always excited about um, what I'm sharing. Uh, it'd be kind of weird if I wasn't. But I shared this on my Facebook page, but in case we're not Facebook friends for some reason, I want to read this to you. This is out of the Passion Translation. This is the commentary of 1 Corinthians, and I thought this was so interesting. I liked the way they worded this. It's talking about the introduction to the book. And it says, in 1 Corinthians 13, we have the clearest and most poetic masterpiece of love in the New Testament. And then he says this, God's unending love always sustains us and gives us hope. Think how many of the problems in your life could be solved by embracing the revelation of, of love found in this anointed letter of Paul. May the love of God win every battle in your heart, bringing a full restoration of your soul into the image of God, for God is love. Isn't that cool? I just loved the imagery, man, that the, the love of God would win every battle in our soul. There's, there's a lot in that. Amen. That's right. Every battle you can think of, man, the love of God can, can win it. It's just amazing. Let's see if I can find my notes here. Um, okay, so I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 1 through 10. This is the Passion Translation, so it's going to be a little different than what you have. Follow along with me on your version or in your Bible, um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about it. It says, verse 1, from Paul, divinely, this is, you know, the letter is written from Paul divinely appointed according to the plan of God to be the apostle of the anointed one, Jesus. Our fellow believer, Sothenes, joins me in writing you this letter addressed to the community of God throughout the city of Corinth. Most of you guys may or may not know that Corinth was like a really big city, like New York, think Dubai, think London, a really metropolitan big city. It says, for you have been made pure, set apart for the anointed one in Jesus. And God has invited you to be his devoted and holy people. Not only you, but everyone everywhere who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and ours also. May joyous grace and endless peace be yours continually from our Father God and from our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. I am always thanking my God for you because he has given you such free and open access to his grace through your union with Jesus, the Messiah. In him, you have been made extravagantly rich in every way. You have been endowed with a wealth of inspired utterance, which is talking about like being able to be good public speakers, and the riches that come from your intimate knowledge of him. For the reality of the truth of Christ is seen among you and strengthened through your experience of him. So now you are not lacking any spiritual gift as you eagerly await the unveiling of Lord Jesus, the anointed one. He will keep you steady and strong to the very end, making your character mature so that you will be found innocent on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is forever faithful and can be trusted to do this in you. For he has invited you to co-share the life of his son, Jesus, the anointed one, our king. I urge you, my brothers and sisters, for the sake of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to Live in unity with one another and put to rest any division that attempts to tear you apart. Be restored as one united body living in perfect harmony. Form a consistent choreography among yourselves, having a common perspective with shared values. Wow, it's a lot, right? It's a pretty great picture of what the kingdom can look like. I just want to make note of this verse. Uh, verse 6, it says, For the reality of the truth of Christ is seen among you and strengthened through your experience of him. 
So you guys probably know at this point that we are moving into, we have moved into a season of pursuing that holy passion fire of God in our hearts. And I love this verse, the way it says that that truth of Christ is actually seen among you and actually is experienced as we experience that in the Lord. I just think that's so powerful. And that's my prayer. Um, man, that's my prayer for us, Lord, that we would just be strengthened through our experiences with you. And, and together, we would pursue the holy fire of God. Today, we're going to be talking about um, love, as you could probably tell. And, you know, if we're talking about the four pillars, we've been talking about the vision of the church. Today is really all about love. And we're going to talk about it from a very different angle than, than a traditional topic of, of love. It's not going to be 1 Corinthians 13 or anything like that. What we're going to do is talk about a normal life and then a kingdom perspective right? And so the kingdom perspective always takes us into a higher look. So I want to start by talking about a normal marriage. When we get married, most of us, um, when you're little, you think marriage equals like the Hallmark movie romance, right? Like I was incomplete and now I found you and now I am complete and we skip off on our merry way. I was joking with Grant the other day. We've, I've been watching some Hallmark Christmas movies Anybody else? Just me? I normally don't, but this, this is my year. Apparently, I'm catching up on all the ones I haven't seen. And I was telling him, he said, you know, isn't, this, isn't it the same story every time? I said, yeah, the basic arc of a Hallmark movie is that I, something is wrong with the main character. They're inherently flawed in some way. And then they meet someone, and three weeks later, that person is now their forever love. Right? It's funny, as you go through the story, you think, oh, this is so sweet. And then they, then they say, yeah, I've only known them for like three weeks. And you go, whoa, red flags. If this was real life, we'd be saying, you have a major problem if you're incomplete. And now you're saying, you're my soulmate. And it's been three weeks. There's no way you could know somebody that much, right? But, it, but we all, especially us ladies, we're just like, wow, that is just really sweet. Right? That, that's a normal way to look at relationships, that I am incomplete, I am inherently flawed in some way, and then I meet you, and then now you complete me, you help me feel significant, your gifts, your love, your attention help me feel better about myself, so let's get married. And then we wonder why around the seven-year mark or so, most marriages fail. Because the bottom line is that we are not, you guys know this, we are not designed as humans to have our needs met in another human. That's actually called idolatry. And it's all through the Old Testament, right? The only way we can have significance is when, and to feel whole is by having God meet that need, even in a godly marriage. So we have a marriage where it's the Jerry Maguire, you complete me thing that's going on. And then we have a kingdom marriage that says, you know, I love you, but you could never complete me. I love you, but I am only completed through the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And together, we make a better team, but you're not the half to my half. I remember in a counseling session, Grant and I were in, the counselor worded it to me like this. He said, you know, you, you have a tendency to think you're supposed to be in the same boat going down the river vying for the captain's wheel. He said, but actually, God's picture of a kingdom marriage is two boats sailing in tandem down the same river. And I'll be honest, at that time, I was like, how dare you put that thought in his mind? And Grant was going, yes, thank you. Because he's been telling me from day one, I can't meet your needs. You have to do that in Jesus. And there's just moments as we grow in the Lord where we go, but I don't know that I believe that God could meet that need in me, 
right? Why would I be married if I have to have Jesus also be my husband while I have a husband? It makes no sense, right? But I remember going to bed one night just frustrated and angry, you know, because I'm a normal person too. And so I wish I was immune to negative emotions, but I'm not. And I was going to bed and I was frustrated and we had worked out this conflict, but I just still, you know, it's like we talked about it, but it's just not settled in you. And God said to me so sweetly, he said, would you be willing to let me be your husband? And I, yeah, and I, my initial thought was, I'm not so sure. <laughs> I mean, not, of course, yes, but I, my initial thought was, well, my first choice, Jesus, would be that you would fix him. And that, you know, right? That's just my, that's how, where I was at, just being honest. And I thought about it, and I'm like, you know what, Lord? I think my struggle is that I just didn't understand how you could be. Like, I want to say yes wholeheartedly, but I don't have any trust built with you in that area, so it feels like not possible, you know? So I, I did say yes, and I, I, you know, processed it. probably took me about 15 minutes to just work through all my flesh and go, you know what, Lord? Yes, I will let you be my husband. And I thought that would mean that, I, like, he would do, I don't know what I thought, like, he would drop little flowers in my path. I don't know what I thought would happen. But what happened is he healed something in my heart where I quit caring about all of the things I was putting on Grant to meet in me right? It was like now it wasn't about, um, wow, you didn't do this or you did this. It was about, okay, you're a human and together we need to work this out. But the hole that was feeling like that I was lashing out of is being met over here by my husband, Jesus. (laughs) Does that make sense? So there's a kingdom marriage versus a regular marriage. I love to listen to counselors. Counseling is like one of my just, I don't know, passions and fascinations. And there's a really great counselor. His name is Dan Allender. And I listen to his podcast from time to time. And I was listening to a thing he did on marriage. It's like five parts. And he called it the marriage quadrant. And he said a typical marriage that ends up in counseling fits one of these four categories. And then there's a fifth one. So as I begin to describe this, if you don't find yourself in the four, be at peace. I didn't know that. So by the fourth one, I was thinking, what's wrong with my marriage? Because I don't fit these. And then the fifth one was really great. And that was us. And I thought, oh, I, you should have said that at the beginning. So um, so I'm telling you now, if you don't fit, that's okay. So the quadrant one are two people who have so much pain in their life, so much, he calls it contempt, like it's built up wounding, that they're just content. They're not, it's not, they have contempt, which leads them to be content to live in the surface and shallow of life right, that they, all, you know, the second they get home, the TV comes on, there's very little depth of communication, they sort of watch the world go by, talking about how they might want to live it, but not actually ever living it. He said, usually quadrant one couples end, in, end up in counseling because they have a child that quite literally sets their hair on fire or does some kind of crazy rebellious act, trying to get the parents to wake up and pay attention. And he said, that's usually, they wouldn't go to counseling apart from, here's my child that has having a problem and I need help. And then quadrant two are patriarchal families, as we would consider in society, but sort of think business executive trophy wife, okay? And so it's very driven on the way you look and appearance and, you know, nobody can know who we really are. We have to project this image of what we are. And, and it's absolute male domination. And so the female is expected to be completely subservient in that dynamic, which, you know, if you're listening, I hope you're thinking that's not a kingdom relationship. And then on the flip side, the quadrant three is vice versa. It's a female-dominated relationship where the man is essentially emasculated, right? All of the, the goodness of him as a man is sucked away because she is controlling and manipulating every single thing that there is. And then the fourth quadrant is what I would consider a, a Jerry Springer-type situation where both people are so volatile that it's all chaos all the time. 
So I hope you can see in each of these four quadrants, there's a lot of hurt that's causing these things to happen, right? There's a lot of hurt that leads people to lash out in different ways. And then the fifth category, he would say, would be like a whole, like a circle in the middle of the quadrant. And he called that the kingdom marriages. And that a kingdom marriage is actually none of those things, but it's a tandem relationship that focuses on, I am here to be your, your support, to be your friend, to be, you know, there's obviously there's a romantic piece to that, but also that to lay my life down for the sake of your calling. And when both of us together say, I recognize that you are called by God and I can stand alongside of you to support you to pursue that calling, that's a kingdom marriage. And he said, unfortunately, in his decades of counseling, he said very few marriages, they might grow out of the quadrant into a civil, good working team, but very few of them take that step all the way into that kingdom place of saying, your calling is important. Not just who you are, not just, you know, you're not yelling or hurting at me anymore, but that your calling is important, right? So we can have a marriage that's nice, that's enjoyable, or we can have a kingdom marriage that's on fire, that's powerful, that actually takes the kingdom. And I'm not talking about that you have to have some big ministry. I'm just talking about even in your home, right? That your kids are raised with this sense of purpose and calling and, and oh, it gets me excited. All right, let's talk about family for a second. So we can have a normal family. We can have a kingdom family, right? A normal family happens one of two ways. You guys are going to be so surprised by this. One is the mom and dad decide, I want to have a child, and they go through the process of having a child. The other way is, accidentally, I had a child, right? I remember being a teenager having a birds and the bees conversation with my mom, and she said, listen to me carefully, Rachel. There is no accidents. There are only surprises, right? She goes, there is one way to make a baby. So you cannot, be, you cannot say it was an accident. If you do this act, if you have intercourse, there is a very large chance you can have a baby. She said this whole idea that people say, I, I accidentally got pregnant. She was like, it's, it's a lie. It's a myth, right? And I thought, okay, let's end this conversation because no parent enjoys those conversations. But I have remembered that from that point forward, you know, and it was something that carried me at the end of the day, you know, when there was moments of temptation, I would be the one, I'm there thinking, nope, I'm not ready to have a baby, so I'm not ready to do that, you know? And there's this, this thing where people have this like, oh, I fell into being a parent. And then there's this other side of, I became a parent to meet my own needs. Are you catching a theme? And so when, when we become a parent, let's just say from choice, we decide, I want to have a baby. There's this thing in you that's like, you always picture you. Anybody else? If you're a dad, you picture wrestling and doing the swing set and all those kind of taking them fishing. And if you're a mom, you picture, you know, nurturing their boo-boos and, you know, just holding them and, and dressing them how you want and everything. And you, you kind of lose sight in the daydream that they're this real person that has a very real opinion of what to do with their life. And I remember when Eli was about six or seven years old and I started realizing that my motherhood was no longer about me. And it was a little bit of a panic moment because I didn't realize beforehand that I thought it was about me, right? I, I realized in that moment, oh my goodness, Lord, I am here as a mother. It has very little to do with me. It has 100% to do with me laying my life down so that these little people can become everything you've called them to be. But see, that's a kingdom family, when we're not fo focusing on kingdom parenting, then when our child begins to express a will and a desire, then we do one of two things. We squash it. I am the parent, and as long as you're in my house, you will do everything I say. Or we go the other way, and we just hands off. You know, well, it's your life. 
And both are wrong. Because if we squash and we say, you know, I'm going to completely dominate you because you're bothering me, then what's that child going to do when they grow up? When they finally have a sense of freedom, now they're going to dominate everybody else around them. You know, they're going to pattern themselves off of that. If we go the other way and just totally hands off, what are they going to do? They're just going to not care. They're not going to believe that there's a place where they can walk alongside somebody and see real transformation. In the middle of that is a kingdom family model. What's fascinating to me about family is that there's this tie that binds you, right? My brother, he is, I have one brother, he's two years older than me. He's my best friend, and for large amounts of time in our life, he has been my mortal enemy, right? That's just kind of how siblings are. I believe God gives us siblings to teach us how to interact with other people. It's, it's fascinating when you watch your kids have siblings and you're like, yep, that is teaching you so many things in life you'll need later. And I had moments where my brother was my best friend and then I had moments where he was my worst enemy where he would go, why are you doing this? And I would say to him the same thing, you know. And over time, we've grown apart and we've grown together and there's something supernatural that's always bound us together to keep coming back around. I personally believe it's that DNA, shared blood, it's the spiritual bond of being a family, right? Which you can get through adoption too, but that's not the topic of today. So the, the, so with him, when he has grown into phases where he's walked away from the Lord or, or changed directions of what I thought he should do with his life, it's been, I'm like, I want to break relationship with him, right? Because I'm like, I'm not, I'm not happy with what you're doing. But I can't because there's this otherworldly connection to us. And then when we come back to around and we both see eye to eye on things, like um, about, I don't know, six or seven years ago, he had like a Damascus Road experience with the Holy Spirit. And from that point on, it's been, he's like a new person. And we haven't had, I hope we don't have any more of those, you know, separating type things. But it's like, we've always had this bond together. Even with my parents, there's always this bond that draws us together, right? That's part of what God created. And so one of the things I want to talk about today is how do we give people permission in the concept of a kingdom family to grow from one degree of glory to another or from one degree of glory to another? Because we're all on this journey of life, right? And there's circumstances that come in where sometimes we take a left turn when we should have taken a right, but we have to trust God that God will put that person back on the path. And so then we have a decision to make of whether I'm going to break relationship with you. What do I mean by that? Like distance myself, like just quit caring, take the hands-off approach, that I'm going to break relationship with you because I'm not happy with the direction you went in your life, or that I can stay connected to you with my heart even though I'm not happy with what you're doing in my life, in, in your life, right? And then the flip side of that is when they're going from one degree of glory to a better degree of glory, there's this element where now you grew out of the box I put you in, so now what, right? Like with my brother, you know, I had boxes I had put around him of just growing up together, him being my best friend. And so when he began to step into his calling, I was like, oh, I got to see you in a different light. And, and I, at times I felt my flesh rising up to want to wanna go, no, you can only be this because I have all this history knowing how to handle you this way. But if you become this, what do I do? Like he's very prophetic. And so, you know, pro- prophets usually tend to be agitators where they are. That's just kind of how it is. And so he, he really enjoys agitating different situations, you know. And it's a byproduct of his God-given calling. And there's moments where I want to go, don't do that. <laughs> this is so nice. Don't agitate that, right? But I have to step back and go, no, I'm giving you permission to grow into this next degree of glory because it's a beautiful thing to behold, but I have to change how I relate to you in that. That's the difference between a family and a kingdom family. 
And then, of course, we have churches, and then we have kingdom churches, right? And I feel very blessed to be in Oklahoma City where we have a lot of kingdom churches. I mean, there's a lot of people here who really love Jesus and pursue him as the Bible says to. But there's a thing where we have this tendency to go, okay, in the context of church, can I give you permission to be on a journey that defies my understanding of what you should do? I'm not talking about sin per se, but just as God puts a dream in someone's heart and they begin to grow a different direction, sometimes it's like, oh, now you outgrew what I thought about you and now I have to re-decide, do I want to re-engage or do I want to back up, right? When we were in Waco, we were serving in youth ministry. It was one of the best seasons of my life. I loved what we were doing. I loved the people we were serving with. And then Grant said, I feel like God's calling me to step out of this role and start a home inspection business. And I thought, uh, right, no, God's not calling you to that because that's going to affect me. That's going to change the dynamic of all these things. And I was just, my mind was going a million miles per minute thinking, okay, Lord, I need you to show me if this is what you're saying. And so we spent, I don't know, a couple weeks just processing with the Lord and saying, God, is this what you're saying? And God had given a promise for this home inspection business for him to start and said very clearly to do that. And so I said, okay. And so I, I because I value him, because I value the calling that's in his life, then I'm willing to make adjustments as God leads him from one degree of glory to another, right? And it had a big, it, not, it wasn't a negative toll. It just had a big shift on my life because of how we were involved and we changed a lot of things. And over the course of our 15 years of being together, that's been something that's happened time and time again, as God says, either for me or him. Because as we follow Jesus, we are going to change, I remember watching an interview of a, a married couple that had been married, I think, for like 60 years. And the interviewer said to the couple, what's your secret? What's, what's the secret that has kept you guys together? And the husband said, I've been married to about seven different women. And the interviewer was taken aback, like, oh, you know, like looking at her paper, like I thought that this was not that. And he said, about every five to seven years, she would grow into someone different, and I would have to re-decide in my heart to pledge my life to her. So over the course of these 60 years, I've had about seven different wives. <laughs> and I thought, that is actually really profound if you think about it. I don't know about you, but I want to be continually becoming a new person. I don't want to stay where I am. I don't want to stay bound to the woundings that I had experienced as a child. I don't want to, I want to be free to grow. But with growth comes adjustment, right? And I can tell you in, in my marriage, just over, you know, 15 years or whatever, however long, 13 years we've been married, we've had a couple of those reinventions. Holy Spirit sometimes makes them a little faster than seven years, you know, as, as you're walking with him. But sometimes it can take a long time and you get used to the rhythm that you're in and then, boom, something happens and you go, oh, wow, okay, a shift just happened and you're becoming someone new and now I have to renegotiate that. And it's such a beautiful thing. And if we embrace it from a place of beauty, it can become such a powerful journey for you. But we have to be watching for it. We have to have eyes to see. So as the concept of us as a church, the, the question I felt like God was putting on my heart is, can we give each other permission to grow out of the boxes we put on each other? Right? Like I can tell you, it's coming a day when Makobe won't be our drummer. Right? In Jesus' name. <laughs> 
I mean, he learned the drums for the sake of needing a drummer in our band, and he's faithfully served in that place, but that's not his highest calling, right? And so when he steps off the worship team and starts participating when that day comes in other areas, can we give him permission to be something different than we thought, right? And it goes for every person in this room and every person that will be coming. And so I'll just tell you a secret of something that I do. Um, a couple years ago, a mentor shared this with me, and he said, every person is going to cross the line of battle of sonship. Okay, there's maybe a more eloquent way to say this, but basically there's going to be a day when you finally have total victory in your place as a son or daughter in the kingdom, right? I've discovered that it's usually a couple-year journey where we think we cross that line, then we have a few more battles, and then we think we cross that line, and then we have a few more battles, and then eventually there's a day where it's so clear in your mind, I'm never going back to believing anything less than the total truth of Jesus, right? That God is absolutely my provider, that he's absolutely my covering. There's a whole list of these things, that he's totally my father, that I have this open-ended relationship with him that's unveiled and beautiful, and there's a moment that we cross where that battle is now officially done. Does that mean we don't have battles in the future? Of course not. But now we're fighting from a totally different mentality on this side of the victory line than we are from over here. Over here we're fighting and there's lots of doubt and there's lots of questioning and there's wrestling. And I, like me saying, Jesus, you know, you want to be my husband. Me going, is that even a thing? Can you even do that, right? That wrestling happens when we're fighting on this place. But when we cross that final place of victory, now God says something, I want to be whatever to you. And you kind of go, okay. I have no idea what that's going to look like, but hold my hand and here we go, right? It's just a difference of a mentality. This, this line is the most worthwhile battle you can fight, hands down. It will change everything in your life, right? And so this mentor shared with me, he said, the best thing you can do is gauge the people that you're on a leadership team with or the people around you of whether they've crossed that final line or not. So it's not because you're going to think any differently about them. It just helps you know how to position yourself next to them as they're fighting. And he said because if they're, he calls it their greatest battle. If the greatest battle is still ahead of them, then you know there's going to be a day where their world totally falls apart in one way or another, emotionally, you know, it's hard to say what it will be. But if their greatest battle is behind them, then you can position yourself in a different way. I actually don't believe either one is better than the other. It just is right? And so it's totally transformed my ability to give people permission to be on their journey, because as I listen to the stories that they're telling me, it can become pretty quick to see, okay, I know where I can, you know, I don't know exactly, but I can tell which side of the line you're on, so I can, I can know how to position myself to be the best help to you. And also, if you're on this side of the line, then I'm never going to put you in a box, because when you cross that line, there is no telling what's going to come out right? And I actually think that's beautiful. It's like parenting. When you have a little baby, you dress them how you want to. You put them in your image of what you think a baby's supposed to be. But there's a day where they turn around and go, I'm not wearing that, mom. And you're like, oh, I loved this. And I just spent, you know, $20 on this outfit and just put it on for a picture so at least I can remember it forever, right? And it's like, it's like that with parenting where all of a sudden we go, okay, I have to adjust my style. I'm not going to squash you. I'm not going to kill you because you're not conforming to my image. I'm going to support you in your journey, and that takes adjustment on my part. So some of my kids, I've got a pretty good clue of what they are in life, how they are, their personality. But others, it's like, like for example, for Jack, I'm just waiting for him to just bust out with some thing that is totally unforeseen yet. You know, like yesterday, he said, I'm really thinking about taking karate, but I don't want to be a ninja for my job. I said, it took me a second, and I said, 
oh, no, no, you can take karate without becoming a ninja as your career. It was, like, so black and white to him, you know. I, I wish, I mean, don't you just wish when you could, like, hear their thoughts that led to that point, you know, of him picturing himself as a ninja. Well, that doesn't feel like me. And so depending on what bat, where you are in this great battle of your life into this place of sonship depends on how we all can accept what you're putting out. And I don't mean that we won't accept you now. I just mean it changes, right? Like, um, like okay, I was, I was thinking about this this morning. So here Daisy's belting out this beautiful worship this morning. And I was chuckling to myself when I walked in the door. It sounded like there were five people, singers on stage, and there was like three because it was so full and so loud. And I thought, when I knew Daisy four years ago, she was not a singer. I mean, she was a singer in her heart, but not in public. And I thought, what an amazing journey. How beautiful it is. And then we get to make space for her to come into this part of her that we maybe didn't see beforehand. Isn't that beautiful? That's kingdom church, right? In the kingdom church, there's this thing that binds us together that's bigger than just normal relationship. It's the same as in a family. It's this supernatural element that connects us together. Now, I want to say that doesn't mean you can never leave, because <laughs> that's not what I'm saying, right? But there, is, there are churches that you may have been a part of where when God moves you to somewhere else, it's like it so disrupts their picture of what they thought that it becomes a really messy journey when it shouldn't be messy. We should be anticipating how to navigate for people to grow from one, from one degree of glory to another. And I remember um, a pastor shared this with me about four years ago. And he said, the best advice I can give you, and Grant and I were having lunch with him, and he said, the best advice I can give is to know that every person that walks through the front door of your church will someday leave out the back door. And he said, the goal is not to keep them in the building. The goal is that when they move on, they're a better version like Jesus than they were when they came. And I thought, talk about a paradigm shift, you know, of normal church life. That, okay, so you guys all have permission to come and take what you need from the Lord that we create in this place. And if God moves you on to somewhere else, to be moved in blessing. And I don't have to stop being your friend. It's actually a really beautiful kingdom thing, right? And we've had a lot of people, as some of you guys know, we've had a lot of people come and go. And most of them are still friends of ours, which is such an amazing thing, even here in Oklahoma. Because that's not a typical church culture, but that's a kingdom church culture right? Where I can say, I'm giving you permission to be on this great journey of God in your life, and it may not include me at different stretches of the road, and I love you enough to stay connected to you, even though you need to move on for whatever reason. He said some of those people will leave, will come up, you know, go through the front door and through the back door in like two or three weeks, because it's just not for them. He said some of them, it might take 10 years, some of them 20, some of them might leave because they die and meet Jesus, and that's how they moved out the back door. He said it doesn't matter what the time frame is, it just matters that your focus is not trying to control everybody and keep them in the room. Just let it sink in for a second, right? So in the context of how we are as a church, as we are pursuing this holy passion of fire, it is going to transform some of us in the room. We're going to outgrow the concept of what we think we know about you. Can you give permission to not back away when that happens? Does that mean you have to be absolute best friends and talking every day? Of course not. You know, the will of God never oversteps boundaries that we need in our life, right? If, if our boundaries are from the Lord. Okay, so we have marriages and we have kingdom marriages. We have families, we have kingdom, kingdom families, and then we have churches and kingdom churches. My dream for our church is that we would become a people who are so, 
I think we are a degree of this. We would become an even greater degree of so open-handed with other people that are around us that we're just waiting in expectation of what God is going to grow you into. But there's such a balance there to say, but I'm not disappointed with who you are now, right? It's like I can love everything about who you are now, and I can also wait with expectation of who you're going to become. It's parenting. I look at my baby Grace and I go, I love everything you are now, but I literally cannot wait until she can walk and go to the bathroom by herself and some of these things, you know? And there's the beautiful journey where I don't feel resentful towards her whatsoever for where she is now. This is where she's at and it's beautiful and she's owning it because she can't do anything else. And then when she moves forward, then I get to shift my relationship with her a little bit and I get to, you know, move to a different support system. So... That's what I I, want to challenge you guys with today. And I just want to say again, I have one more thing I want to share, but I want to say again, this 1 Corinthians 1, 9, because God is forever faithful, and he can be trusted to do this in you. He can be trusted to bring you in a transformation, and he can be trusted to help you navigate when someone close to you goes through a transformation, right? So fascinatingly enough, God has put this word about kingdom family and kingdom church. About two weeks ago, I started feeling like he was downloading just different thoughts to share. And, and essentially what I'm trying to do this morning is help us set the standard of where we're going, right? Normally when we preach the love pillar, we preach about the love of God and how to receive that. But today is really about how do we love each other, which is such an important piece of who we are as a body. And I think it's interesting because if I was to name a fifth pillar, which I'm not because this is my thoughts, not God, but it would be family, And I said, I was talking with the Lord about it, and he gave me the picture that the insulation inside of the walls of this concept that we're building with this analogy would be the family, right? I love family. I love the concept of family. I love that when we bind ourselves together at a higher level, that it gives us a reason to move towards each other instead of away when we get frustrated when someone's going on a certain journey that we might not have picked for them, right? We don't get to pick. Sometimes when people are seemingly going from one degree of glory to a lesser degree of glory, it's actually a roundabout mode that God is taking them closer to where they're supposed to be. It just confines our odds, confounds our our perception. So I felt like God was speaking to me about, you know, uh, specifically making room in our heart to letting people transition from one place to another, and even though that's messy at times. And so over this, it's been, a, it's been probably a few months in the working, but two weeks of very clear hearing words to it. You know what I'm talking about? Like you feel like God's doing something, then all of a sudden he puts language to it. And, um, and confirming on so many ways. And so I want to share with you a shift that's coming here um, that is a beautiful coupling to what I'm talking about right now. And, and it's this. It's, you know, God has put, um, if you guys were here the night that Abner Suarez was doing ministry, okay, you may have heard the prophetic word that he gave to Grant about having a dual anointing of, of ministry and also business. And that's something that he and I have been trying to understand for like six months of how does that work to, to be a senior leader of a church but also run your own business. And, and I see the day-to-day of his life, and so I know what he does and how much he, how he maximizes those 24 hours that he's given. You know that quote that's like, um, 
you know, even Beyonce has 24 hours in a day. Anybody seen that quote going around on Facebook? It's like everybody has 24 hours, and some people just have a way of maximizing it, and Grant is one of those people. Um, but I've also seen how taxing that is for him to try to maintain all the things. And so in this journey, we've been, we've been wrestling, and we've been struggling, and we've been understanding what does it look like to move in and out of this dual anointing that God has given him, which is an unusual thing. It's, it's not the typical senior leader of a church, right? So when we try to understand it and put a formula to it, it doesn't make sense. And an and um, a, a amazing woman was sharing with me a couple weeks ago. She said, I think the best way you can understand this is to look at it as a mother and father over a family right? That our, because most of you guys know we co-pastor this church, and so I loved that terminology to, to not just say we co-pastor like we're this team, because we are, but that we're the mom and dad. And it, it makes it more sense, because sometimes dad has to focus on something else, and so mom does things. And sometimes mom's over here focusing on this, and dad picks up the slack, and it's not clunky. It's just a flow of who you are. And so in this whole process, God's been initiating essentially a three-month-ish sabbatical for Grant to take from the day-to-day-ness of the church. So what I found so fascinating is God had already put this word in my heart about can we make room for people to grow from one degree of glory to another. And then simultaneously, I'm talking to a friend who, you know, we're processing this and, and um and this friend was telling me, um, this is what I feel like God is saying about this. And I mean just putting language to things that I was feeling in my heart. And I was in Home Goods shopping for a Christmas present. And I was having this moment of like, I feel like I should stop because I could just feel the presence of God going, yes, this is it. And then right then, Ashley sends me this text and says, in worship, I mean, in prayer this morning, God gave me this vision. And the vision is what this friend is telling me on the phone right then. And I was just like, I need a minute, <laughs> you know, that this is God. And it was, there's more confirmations than that, but it was so powerful for me to just get to step back and go, this is the will of the Lord, even though it looks so different. And so essentially what it's going to be is, is on the day-to-day workings of the church, Grant will not be doing those. I'll be doing those. And he'll be preaching some, but not very much over the next few months. And we're going to reevaluate in March, and I think he'll, you know, we'll probably adjust some things at that point. But we're using the sabbatical terminology. You know, a traditional sabbatical, if you're working for a church, like you're not allowed to do church work. And it's not really that. It's kind of more of a sabbatical that Sarah's on right now. Of You can still do things. It's just altering how much you're doing. And so I wanted to share that with you guys because, you know, I don't think for most of you it's going to feel any different than it does now. But if you have questions or you have curiosities or ideas or whatever, just send them to me. And then, you know, where it's needed, I'll bring him into that and he can weigh in because it's not like he's not going to make decisions, <laughs> you know, or he's not going to be in the loop or anything like that. Um, but that way it'll just help him for the pressure that he's been under in the midst of these two things. Because you may or may not know, he just started his own real estate brokerage and it's called Chamberlain Realty. And the concept that God had given him with this was, um, a chamberlain in the old monarch days was the person who was in charge of the king's properties, managed, bought, sold the king's properties. And when we came across that name, we both were like, wow, that is so amazing. And he loves the concept of positioning this real estate group to manage the king's properties here in Oklahoma, right? It's beautiful. And it's fascinating because in the context of this opening this brokerage, within like nine days, he has eight realtors on his team and growing. And it's like, wow, that was really fast, Lord, <laughs> you know. And I think it's going to be really fast in the, in the coming weeks. And the, the, the desire that God's put in his heart of building this business that ultimately blesses those who are actually doing the business is amazing. And it's powerful and it's beautiful. And it needs to happen for our city.
it does, you know? And so my question to you guys is, can you give Grant permission to do this assignment from the Lord, even though it might shift some of this, right? And the same way of saying, we can give Sarah permission to take Sunday mornings off for a few weeks because that's where God has her, and it shifts how worship feels. It's not any worse or anything like that. We still worship God. It's not about the songs or the music, but it's different. But it's also beautiful, because we can, we can position ourselves, if we're thinking from a kingdom mentality, we can position ourselves to say, I know what's coming in her and through her, through where, where God is leading her on this journey, is going to be a blessing to me too. And to you too, right? We have this opportunity as a church to be unified in a way that we don't get to see very much around here where it's not about control or expectation. It's not about, um, you know, if you're going to be a leader, you have to look like this. If you're going to be, you know, there, that, that has seeped into our culture of a church system in America. And it makes me really sad. Because most traditional churches, you know, when you look at the senior pastor as the one making all of the decisions, and then you look at the church as a whole, you do like a case study of who's in their church, they all look just like that person. Maybe not all physically, but they talk like them, they think like them, right? You're just drawn to what you're normally drawn to. And our heartbeat from the beginning has been, Lord, we know you want to create a place where people don't have to look like Grant. People don't have to look like us. There may never be a person in our church again that has a dual anointing for business and ministry like him. I don't know. It'd be cool, but it's not an expectation. (laughs) You don't have to be an entrepreneur to be a passionate person of God in this body, right? It is slowly but surely happening, but that's not because we're trying to make it happen. It's just a byproduct. And so I think it's so beautiful, and and I guess where I want to land is we just have to give ourselves a moment to stop and go, Lord, is there anything in me that enjoys putting people in boxes? You know? Is there anything in me that I feel safer? Because when we control or we have controlling behavior, it's because we're afraid of something. Sometimes that fear could be if that person moves to a next degree of glory, maybe they don't want me in their life anymore. And so as they begin to adjust, we begin to freak out because we need that person. We love that person, you know. Sometimes it's, it's a totally different thing of I just want you to move to that next degree of glory so badly. <laughs> so that's my question to you. And, and um, we're not going to do a big ministry time or anything like that because I don't feel like that's what God's saying for today. But, but I think this is a great topic of conversation for your lunch you know, of how's your heart? Do you have a place in your heart to give permission to people around you to be on a journey? And maybe if you need to, coming up with a contingency plan of how you're going to feel when they do, you know? Like, like we have family members that they, they, we're, they're ripe for the new season. Is that a fair way to say it? And I have to think through, my, through in my heart a lot. Okay, when this happens and this is going to affect me, am I ready? You know? And am I too ready that I need to back up a little bit and continue to love them where they are? And it is a balance. It is an ebb and flow. And, and there's nothing in the kingdom that's ever, you know, one plus one equals two all the time. The only thing about that is that Jesus is the Lord. Everything else is open to fluidity. And I want us to be that way too. So I'm going to pray um, just to end us and then give somebody a hug because that just feels like a good way to, to end this love morning. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Lord, 
we just want to be like you. Ultimately, God, we want to be like you. And when you were deliberate in choosing 12 disciples that were so different from you and diversifying your spirit into people of different personalities and backgrounds and upbringings and and giftings, we want to be like that too, Lord. We want to be a diverse body before you. because that's your heart. And so I'm just asking, Lord, that as we move into this, as we are moving and have moved into this season, that you would help us catch everything that you're giving. You'd help our eyes to be aware of when you're among us and, and, um, and when our hearts are burning because you are there. Help us to not miss those moments. And I just bless every person on this journey of life that they're going on for those that are stepping into a new degree of glory. We bless that, Lord. Give them um, strength and courage to do that well. And for those that are settling into the degree of glory they're in right now, Lord, we just bless them with, with um, just a, a keen ear to hear your leadership in their life. In Jesus' name, amen.